Hey, I'm Mia Hemstad. I'm a wife, I'm a mom of two kids, and I'm a trauma-informed self-care coach. I also live with diagnosed PTSD and depression. I started sharing my mental wellness journey online in 2017 when I was diagnosed with postpartum depression and anxiety. And since then, I've heard from hundreds of women who all struggle with the same thing, putting ourselves last. This is a struggle that's keeping so many women burned out and unhappy, through no fault of our own, by the way. I've been working on my own healing as an abuse survivor since 2013. But when I became a mom, I really started to do the inner work of figuring out why I was putting myself last and how to start prioritizing myself for the first time in my life. This podcast is about sharing all of those lessons with you. So if you're interested in hearing honest stories, life advice, and inspiration that encourages you to make your health, happiness, and well-being a priority, then definitely stick around. Welcome to your No Longer Last journey. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Mia here. I'm so excited to have you. If you are watching this on YouTube, this is the first video version of the podcast. So I'm so excited to now be doing that. And if you're listening, I'm still super excited to have you listening in. So thank you so much for joining me today. Um, Today, I'm going to be talking about something that is so important I can't believe I haven't done an extended piece of content on it. And it's about how your past trauma is influencing your present choices. At this point in my healing journey, I've been on this road for over eight years. I just assume that everybody knows this. But whenever I start to talk about it online or with my students, in my program, I realized that this is not common knowledge. This is not something everybody knows. So I'm so excited to be sharing this with you today because I think it's gonna really help you become just more empowered in your life and more aware and more intentional. And you'll see what I mean as I start to share. So a lot of us were taught that, you know, what's in the past is in the past. Like almost with this like idea that if something happened 10, 20 years ago that it's no longer relevant, it doesn't have any weight or bearing in our lives and that could not be further from the truth that is not the way that our brains work on a neurobiological level. I wanted to share an example from my personal life <clears throat> with this and it's it's been something that's been hard to talk about but I think in sharing my story maybe you can see yourself in it or it could help you to uh, identify something in your life that maybe is relatable. So when I was 17 years old, I got very, very sick and I... I felt like I was dying, to be frank. I was sick for a month. It started out as a series of debilitating migraines that literally practically paralyzed me. Like I had to be taken to the bathroom. Um, One of my sisters helped me go to the bathroom. She helped me take a shower. She would bring me snacks and like water and stuff. Like I literally could not move unassisted. I was in incredible amounts of pain, screaming every night when the migraines would come, like clockwork. And these migraines were the type of migraines that caused me to vomit. So I couldn't really keep much food down other than a few crackers every day. And I couldn't even keep water down, barely, other than a few sips. So I started to feel myself getting more and more dehydrated. Before I got sick, I was about 98 pounds. And then... By the time I started to get treatment for this uh, undiagnosed illness, I was about 80 pounds. So I was extremely thin, 80 pounds, 17-year-old. And it was really, really rough. Um, 
And I asked to go to the doctor. This is where the trauma comes in. Like I asked to go to the doctor. I asked to go to the hospital because like I said, I thought I was dying. And I was like, I'm so hungry. I'm so thirsty. I, I really need to go to the hospital. And I was not taken. And days went by and weeks went by and my illness just got worse and worse. Eventually, I was taken to a doctor's office, like a regular pediatrician's office. And I remember to this day the doctor saying, uh, she needs to go to the hospital, but we can't risk her waiting in line at the emergency room because there, there might be a line. So we are going to give her an IV here. Um, an IV, I'm sure everybody knows what that is, but intravenous fluids, you know, basically putting a, a needle in my arm to get fluids into my body so I don't die from dehydrations. But they literally, I remember hearing them say like, she might not make it if she, if you take her to the hospital. So that was really scary. And I was, I remember my veins were so, so shriveled up. It took them five different tries with a needle to get a, to get a needle into my arm and um, they got the needle in my arm. They got, I think it's called a catheter. I don't know. Um, somebody can correct me, DM me, let me know what it's called. But it's the thing they put in your arm when they finally connect the needle and then they connect that piece, the catheter piece to whatever fluids they're getting into you. And I had to lay on this cold doctor's table for like four or five hours as that two bags of fluids dripped into me slowly. And then I went home and I had to keep the catheter in my arm and come back the next day and do five more hours of that. Um, that really helped me. And then I had a ton of like high dosage ibuprofen and other medications to help me get on the mend and I, and I got on the mend. This is where this really comes into play though, because every single one of us has some sort of experience in childhood and it doesn't need to be that traumatic. I have a few other examples that I'll, that I'll touch on, but I don't want this podcast episode to be, you know, a hundred years long. But for a very long time in adulthood, like when I went away to college and even when I became a mother, I didn't really understand or even be, I wasn't aware that I was having such a difficulty making doctor's appointments or taking care of my health. Uh, when it came to medical needs. Like I would delay going to the doctor. I would endure immense pain. I wouldn't, I just didn't want to go to the doctor. And while I would, I would take my kids obviously to all their routine appointments and I would take them, you know, if they were sick or whatever, it always was this extremely stressful experience that caused me to have such immense anxiety that I would have like an anxiety hangover the next day, like just because of the adrenaline and the cortisol pumping through my blood every time I had to go to the doctor or call my insurance or make an appointment. It was ridiculous. And I was just going through life like that, thinking that that was normal. And I remember, you know, kind of talking about it with other people and they were like, no, yeah, I don't experience that. It's like normal. <laughs> And then I, uh, I think I was in therapy at the time and I was talking about this experience. Oh yeah, you know what it was? I was in therapy and I was being evaluated for ACEs. And if you don't know what ACEs are, it's Adverse Childhood Experiences Assessment. And it basically evaluates how much trauma you've been through out of a score of 10 and I score eight. So one of the things on the ACEs score is were you ever in a situation as a child where you needed to go to the doctor or to the hospital and you weren't taken? And my, you know, my answer was yes, yes, several times over. And 
that's when I started to unpack that. I had never once identified that as trauma because that was just my life, right? It's so hard for us to know what's quote unquote traumatic and what's not traumatic. And that's why so many of us invalidate our experiences or we think that they're normal or we gaslight ourselves because we think that only certain things classify as trauma. And I'm here to tell you that trauma is a lot more varied than we realize. And thank goodness for this therapist and for this ACEs assessment, I was able to realize that. And anytime I'm tempted to invalidate myself or minimize my my struggles, I remind myself that I have an eight out of 10 ACEs score. And this isn't to disempower me. This is actually to make sure that I'm loving and caring for myself in the way that I need. Because it's so easy to be like, Mia, why do you have to make a big deal out of this? Just like muscle up the courage and do it. And it's like, Um, because this is a trauma point for you and you got to go deeper than just try harder. So some other examples of trauma that maybe you can relate to are, for instance, for me, money trauma was a big deal. There were many, many times in my childhood where I was told that we might lose our house or that we might, you know, um, there were many times where like we didn't have enough food or food was rationed. Like, okay, you can only have two pieces of cheese, you can only have one chicken patty, you can only have two hot dogs, whatever. Um, You know, constantly feeling hungry, but being told I couldn't have any more because there was no more food. I had to work a lot as a child at flea markets selling lemonade and cake and cookies. And I had to work at food festivals, standing on my feet for 16 hours a day, um, you know, developing major feet pain that I live with to this day. Last night, I couldn't get off the couch after walking like half a mile. And it's just stuff that still affects me to this day. And so, you know, because of that money trauma, like for the longest, there's just so much I'm uprooting, but for the longest time, like I couldn't even go to the grocery store without literally sweating, like at the grocery store, putting things in my cart. I'd have my phone out with my calculator app open, adding everything I put in my cart, feeling guilty you know, for literally anything, buying the cheapest version of everything. Even when I started to work a corporate job with benefits, I was working overtime, I was making overtime pay. Like I could have been buying myself that pint of ice cream I really wanted, but I refused. I refused. I wouldn't let myself buy new clothes. I was pregnant and I wouldn't even let myself buy maternity leave clothes. I like made myself wear yoga pants every day with oversized, you know, shirts from Old Navy, harming my self-esteem, feeling ugly, And I'm so sad for that version of me because I was so beautiful and I was growing a human inside of me and I just didn't celebrate any of that because I was so scared to spend money. So that's one example of how money trauma um, from my childhood affected me in my adulthood. I'm still really working on that. It's like my goal this year um, to really focus on that. And when I say goal, it doesn't mean I'll have uprooted all my money trauma. I'm just bringing more attention to it this year. And then another example is not being allowed to rest. In your childhood, I know for me, I, Saturdays were spent cleaning, like all day and all night, cleaning and cleaning and cleaning inside and outside. And so when I went away to college, while all my college roommates and friends were, you know, living their best lives, like going to the beach together and exploring San Diego, I was deep cleaning my room, organizing my books, doing my homework, deep cleaning the bathroom, deep cleaning the kitchen, mopping, vacuuming, like it was endless. I did not have fun. And it's because I, my whole life, Saturdays were were about cleaning. And so it was just like, I didn't even process that. Mia, you're not a child anymore. You don't need to follow these rules. 
you get to make your own rules. And that's one of the empowering parts about healing trauma and identifying it in your life and recognizing where it still has a hold over you. Because then you get to come out on the other side and go, I'm an adult now and I make the rules. So those are just a few areas of my childhood trauma that I have identified and I'm still working on healing in my adult life. We're gonna take a quick break And when we come back, I'm going to talk about what you can do to start healing this trauma so that you can live more consciously and intentionally instead of constantly reacting to past trauma without even realizing it. We'll be right back. Have you ever gotten a little time to take care of yourself and then you're instantly overwhelmed with what the heck you should do first? Yeah, I used to feel that way too. I call that self-care overwhelm, which leads to decision fatigue and results in you not taking care of yourself in the way that you really need to feel nourished and filled up. This used to be a constant problem for me back when I had my second baby, and that's when I created the 4B self-care framework to help my exhausted mom brain figure out what I needed to do to take care of myself with the small pockets of time and energy that I had. In this framework, there are four types of self-care, basic, boring, brilliant, and bougie. In my new mini course, I teach you about these four types of self-care, I show you how to prioritize, and I give you a printable to plan out your self-care over a 30-day period to help you go on your own journey of self-discovery to figure out what you really need to feel healthy, happy, and taken care of. You can get this mini course completely for free on my website at miahemstad.com forward slash course. I'll have it linked in the show notes as well. Okay, we're back. So what can you do to start healing this trauma so that it doesn't control you and own your daily choices in the present? There are a variety of things you can do and I wanna break it down one at a time. The first and most important thing you can start doing is cultivating the skill of self-awareness. And there's a few areas that you need to cultivate self-awareness in. The first most obvious one is mentally. You need to become mentally aware of what's going on up here in your mind. And the easiest, most accessible tool for you to do this is with journaling. And I know a lot of people don't love to journal or they feel a lot of resistance around it for a lot of reasons. I am a lifelong journaler. Um, there There have been big gaps where I stopped journaling because as my anxiety got worse in adolescence, my perfectionism got worse and I stopped journaling, but I have since returned to the habit over the last few years. So maybe I should do a podcast episode about journaling. Let me know. You can send me a DM on Instagram if you're interested in that. But journaling is so helpful with cultivating self-awareness because you can just start to write about what you're struggling with right now. And then that might prompt your brain to recall some things that happened in your past that might be why you're struggling with it right now. You know, you might think this is ridiculous. I shouldn't be struggling to allow myself to sleep in on Saturdays. It shouldn't, I shouldn't feel so guilty, but maybe throughout your whole childhood, you weren't allowed to sleep in on Saturday, or maybe your parent called you lazy for wanting to sleep in, and now you've internalized that. So just start by writing about what things make you feel guilty, what things make you feel anxious, what's making you feel depressed, what makes you feel overwhelmed, and you'll be surprised at how much You'll be able to make connections to your past just to start to become aware of it. You don't have to make a meaning out of it. You don't have to have a positive spin on it or find a silver lining. Um, It's just about cultivating self-awareness. And 
One thing I want to note with this is while you're becoming aware of what's in your brain, journaling also obviously helps you become aware of your emotions because your emotions, you know, how you're feeling is really the starting place for that journaling. The second area that you need to practice self-awareness in is with your body. And this is something I didn't learn until about three years ago, and it has been life-changing for me because apparently our bodies experience our emotions before our brain even registers them. There's like a 90-second gap between when we experience an emotion and when we acknowledge it or know in our minds that it's happening. So with journaling, you're saying, I feel ashamed, I feel guilty. That's your brain registering and labeling that emotion, which is good. But before your brain knows that, your body felt it first. So I want you to practice cultivating awareness of your body, becoming mindful of how anxiety shows up for you physically. How does depression show up for you physically? I know for me, I clench my jaw, I get a headache, my shoulders get tight, my stomach starts to hurt, I feel nauseous. Um, And once I started to identify the bodily sensations associated with my emotions, I was able to notice when I'm triggered before my brain even recognizes it, before I'm even even able to put words to it and say, okay, I know I'm triggered. Now I'll feel something happening to me physically and I'm like, oh, what's going on here? So those are the two parts of self-awareness I encourage you to practice. Mental with journaling and physical with mindfulness of your body. The next thing that you should practice, and I think this is overlooked, but it is a game changer, is self-compassion. If you want to start healing your past trauma and you start to practice self-awareness, one of the first things that can come up if you don't have self-compassion under your belt is shame and guilt. You're like, ugh, I feel all of these horrible feelings. You remember some of your past trauma and then you're just overwhelmed and flooded with all these emotions of shame and guilt. Self-compassion helped me to handle that because instead of judging myself for how my my body and mind are reacting in the present moment, right? Past Mia used to be like, oh my gosh, Mia, you're a mom, you're an adult, you're a grown woman. Why are you acting this way? Pull yourself together. Self-compassion came in and said, it's understandable why we're sweating at the grocery store. We weren't allowed to eat as much as we needed for years as a child. It's understandable why Christmas makes me feel sick physically because of how many years I felt like we were going to lose our house because we bought Christmas presents. You know, practice using that statement, starting with, it's understandable that I feel X, Y, Z, because this happened to me. This really helps you to remove judgment that can come up when you start becoming aware of what's really going on under the surface. And the beautiful thing about it is a lot of times when we become aware of things, self-awareness can become overwhelming. And when we're overwhelmed, we run away and we suppress and it just creates the cycle all over again. If you want to heal and grow and work through these things, it's so important that you find a way to stay here, stay connected and stay present. And self-compassion helps you to do that. It helps you to comfort that younger version of you that was traumatized so that you can stay with her instead of acting like she doesn't exist. So self-compassion, don't overlook it. It's the next step after self-awareness. Then after you've kind of become aware, practice compassion, I want you to go forward with the self-care that you were gonna do. 
And I'm calling it self-care because making that doctor's appointment is self-care. Looking at your credit card statements is self-care. Making sure that you have the time and space and support to rest. And I say that because those of us who are moms know we can't just sleep in on the weekend and try not to feel guilty. We have to make sure that someone's got breakfast, someone's going to be with the kids, like, there's a plan, you know, and that you communicate with your partner like when your nap time is going to be potentially finished so that they also can have time. You know, it's not as simple. And I know that and I want to say I let you know that I, I hear that and I understand that. So self-care is making those plans so that you can have time to rest when you need it. And so that is the key here is go forward with the self-care that you need, even though you are feeling on edge about it. And while you go forward with the self-care, you ask your partner to step up on the weekends, you sit down and look at your bank statements, while you move forward with it, I want you to pay attention to the voices in your head that come up. Pay attention to the bodily sensations that come up. What is your brain telling you? This is the moment when you get to start to rewrite the trauma narratives and create more empowering ones. So for example, whenever I look at my finances, my brain goes, you will always struggle with money. You will never be safe or secure with money. This is your story. This is who you've always been. You don't get to be anybody different. And because I'm paying attention, I hear it and I say, That was when I had no control as a child. That was my past. It is not my present and it is not my future. I'm an adult and I get to decide what my financial health and well-being looks like. That's why we want to pay attention to what our brain is saying because our brain is going to tell us the story of our past. And unless we're listening, we're not going to be able to respond to those thoughts and rewrite new ones. With bodily sensations, pay attention to how you feel while you're working on your finances or you're practicing whatever self-care it is that you chose. For me, my chest and stomach feel tight. And so I'm paying attention to that while I'm working on my finances and I have those bodily sensations. And I found that what helps me is having a pillow. I have a pillow. I hold on to it with one arm and I have my hand on my on the mouse <laughs> and I'm being real with you. I'm meeting myself where I'm at. I'm acknowledging that I have these bodily sensations because of how much anxiety money brings up for me and I'm doing something about it. If you don't pay attention to what your brain is saying and what your body is communicating to you because physical sensations are also communication, you miss an important opportunity to give your body and brain new information and to let your body and brain know that you are no longer a child, you are no longer being traumatized, you are no longer in the past, you are an adult now, in a new year, in a new time, and you make the rules. So that is what I recommend for the next step in this process of healing your trauma. And lastly, After you finish your self-care practice, let's say you've called the doctor and you made the appointment and you rested on Saturday, whatever it is, and you fought the internal demons of guilt, shame, trauma, fear, whatever it was, acknowledge that you feel heightened and I want you to do something that helps you to reconnect with yourself. So whenever we feel heightened, we're kind of like in our heads 
spinning out about, you know, all of our fears. They're just like wishing around in our heads and in our bodies, making us feel on edge, making us feel heightened. It's a heightened energy that's just not good. We want to stay in the present, right? We want our brains and bodies to know like we're in a present, we're in a new reality, we're not in the past anymore. This is why self-connection is so important because self-connection is about getting out of your head and getting back into your body. And your body is always in the present. The thing about our brains is that our brains can literally make us think that we're in the past and it can make us think that we're in the future that hasn't even happened yet, but our bodies are always in the here and now. So when we reconnect to our bodies, we're able to come back to the present in a more easy and tangible way. I find that much easier than trying to make my brain stay in the present. Instead, I like to just try to work on reconnecting my brain to my body. Here are some things that you can do to reconnect to yourself after you feel heightened from practicing difficult self-care. Journaling, again, it's kind of like a loop. See how we started with journaling, we come back to it. Journaling is a very grounding activity. It helps to connect your brain to your body because you are physically using your hand to write things down. Um, Yoga, any sort of exercise or movement is a connection practice. Uh, Taking a shower, taking a bath, and just paying attention to the physical sensations of it. Um, Some other things you can do is going for a walk, getting outside, feeling the sun on your face, feeling the breeze. There are so many things that you can do. For me, I love doing breath work and meditation because it's focusing on my breath. And, you know, again, your breath is only happening in the present moment. So when you bring your mind's attention to your breath, you are coming back to your body. But get into a, you know, a mindset of experimentation. Just figure out what works for you because there's a lot of different practices that you can try. But the goal of self-connection is really to ground yourself back down and reconnect with your body in the present moment. Because again, after you've practiced that self-care, you're gonna be feeling heightened again. Um, Cause again, not all self-care is like feeling good, right? I just told you about, this is really about the self-care that's hard to do, that brings up, that forces us to address our trauma and to act in opposition to it, right? So when you do that self-care and you're feeling on edge, it's really important that you reconnect back with yourself so that you don't numb, so that you don't go towards coping mechanisms that aren't ideal. Because we all know that when we're feeling overwhelmed or we're feeling on edge, we tend to go, we want to escape that feeling. So maybe you scroll on social media, maybe you pick your nails, maybe you pick your skin, um, maybe you, whatever it is. Like there's so many ways that we all numb and there's no shame, there's no shame. Numbing is how we make sure that the flooding of emotions doesn't get the better of us, Um, you know? And so all I'm saying is if we want to finish that loop that I'm talking about of self-awareness, self-compassion, self-care, and self-connection, if we want to go through that process and really heal the trauma, we have to make sure that we don't cut ourselves off from reconnecting with ourselves by going to a suppressing behavior right? We just did all this work to become aware, to be to be compassionate toward ourselves, to practice self-care, even though it was hard. We don't want to, um, you know, we don't want to kind of cut ourselves off from all that healing by suppressing ourselves. And this doesn't mean that if you do suppress yourself, like I still do this for trauma that's still so hard and so raw, and I will go on social, 
Uh, right now, my biggest tactic to avoiding that numbing behavior is I delete the app off my phone at night so that I don't numb in the early morning or right before bed. But you know, I still have different things that I do. So don't be hard on yourself. Just know that this is not an easy process. I know I just summarized it as if it was just four bullet points, but obviously it's way more messy and more nuanced than this. But those four things is really how I have helped myself to be on this process of healing trauma over the last eight years. And I have way many more years ahead of me. You know, I always tell my clients that healing is not, you know, there's no destination, there's no endpoint, there's no, um, oh, I'm done now in five years, I'll be done with healing. It's lifelong work. And while that can feel overwhelming and daunting, I hope it also lets you know that you can go at your own pace and you can do what works for you. Um, another beautiful thing about having this kind of four-step framework, I don't even know. It's not really a framework. I actually like to call it the four components of the healing journey because whenever I'm having a mental health flare-up where I'm really struggling to see what the heck to do, like I'm depressed or I'm anxious and I'm just really struggling to see where do I go from here? I come back to these four components, self-awareness, self-compassion, self-care, and self-connection. And I ask myself, am I doing these things? Am I doing these four things? And usually I can find one or all of them that I'm not doing. And it helps me to focus in on what I can do to support myself and then take action from there. So for example, in February and January of this year, my sleep was horrific. I was not sleeping. I felt miserable. My suicidal ideation came back and I went back to these components and I was like, okay, let's practice some self-awareness. I broke out the journal um, and I started writing about how I was doing and I realized that it's, I have been, I was out of therapy for several months and I was going through a new, like I was going through transition in my life. I was getting ready to leave California which I had made my home for almost 10 years. I was moving internationally. I had just left my last job. And I realized through that awareness that it was time to hire a therapist to support me through this. So I hope you can see that I'm not saying that if you practice these four steps, you can heal your trauma all on your own. I'm not into DIY. I believe that we heal better when we have support, whether that's through a therapist or a support group or both. Um, and I think that the beautiful thing about working with these four components of the healing journey is it can help to guide you when you feel stuck or lost. So I hope that this podcast episode could help you today and that I made everything, you know, as concise as possible and that it made sense. If you're interested in going deeper in the four components of the healing journey, I have a class all about this called the Introduction to the Healing Journey. It is the first class of my program. My program is called the No Longer Last Journey lots of journeys, <laughs> and I'm actually giving away access for free to this class. So if you want to take this class, you can take it for free until Sunday, July 17th at 12 p.m. Pacific time, and I will leave a link in the show notes for you, or if you're watching this on YouTube in the description, um, but you can go to miahemstad.com forward slash healing class to access the class and to learn more about these four components. One of my clients who signed up recently to my program just sent me a testimonial and I wanted to end this episode sharing with you what she wrote. So my client's name is Kathleen and she said, I just finished class one. 
I just wanted to say, Mia, that I can already tell this course is unlike anything I have ever done before. The trauma-informed aspect and acknowledging barriers is so important and I think will be so helpful. For example, in the last part of the class where you talk about your own experience and how money trauma plays out for you, it got me thinking. My family struggled to make ends meet growing up. Our home was foreclosed on when I was 18 and our parents didn't tell us until two weeks before we needed to be out. My mom is currently homeless. Nothing is wrong with me. It makes sense that I have anxiety regarding money now, but I am an adult and my husband and I are not my, are not my parents. I am safe. We are financially secure. We are not going to be suddenly without a home. I can make different choices. Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen, for sending in that review of my class. And it seriously made me teary-eyed because that is exactly the transformation and awareness that I'm hoping I can help every single one of my clients achieve for themselves. But yeah, if you're interested in working with me or you're just not sure what the No Longer Last Journey would be like, I highly encourage you to take advantage of getting free access to this class because I think this class really encapsulates not only the way that I teach and my teaching style, but what I know and what I can help you with um, throughout the whole program, because it's not just one class, there's actually 12 classes in the full program. Um, so if you're interested in that, definitely check it out. And I want to thank you for taking the time to hear me out, to listen to this episode. I hope you got a lot of value from it and I will see you next week. Bye.